Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to turn to the very last book of the Bible, and that's the book, of course, of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, and then we will read some verses as well from chapter 21. So if you have a copy of your Bible there, let's turn, please, to Revelation 4 to begin with, the very first verse of the fourth chapter, and then we'll read a few verses as well from chapter number 21. We announced this morning that we're looking tonight very simply at another question regarding heaven. Last Lord's Day evening, we considered the question, who goes to heaven, the inhabitants of heaven? Tonight, we're thinking about another question that some people might ask about heaven. What will heaven be like? If we were able to see it tonight, what would it look like, the architecture of heaven? And here we have a description in part of heaven in Revelation 4, and then again a little bit more detail in chapter 21. So let's read from Revelation 4 and verse number 1, just the first seven verses of chapter 4. John the Apostle says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And then we'll go over to chapter 21 and verse number 9 of that chapter, Revelation 21 and the ninth verse. Revelation 21 verse 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither. And I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. 
And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates are off, and the wall are off, and the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, and hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and every gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was of pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. We'll just end the reading of this remarkable portion of God's Word at verse 21 of Revelation 21. Let's turn again, please, in the Word of God to Revelation chapter 4 and also chapter 21, going to look uh, an overview of these two portions of God's Word. As we think tonight simply, what will heaven be like? The architecture of heaven. Let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord earnestly and just call upon His name now and ask Him for grace and for help. Let's pray. Father, we thank Thee for this precious, precious book that Thou hast given. We thank Thee for the inspired and eternal and infallible Word of our God. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the Savior said that Thy Word would never pass away, and every jot and every tittle shall be fulfilled. And Father, tonight we thank Thee that we can stake our eternal destiny upon the integrity of this book, because, Lord, it's Thy Word. But we acknowledge, O God, that we need help as we open this sacred volume. Pray, O God, tonight that You will give us all understanding. And as the psalmist prayed, we pray also, open now mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of Thy law. We pray, O God, that You will encourage the saints, and, Lord, challenge those who do not know Thee. Lord, warm their hearts. And, God, we pray that there might be a drawing to the Savior's feet. Draw, Lord, with the cords of love, precious souls to the cross, for whom Christ has died. Grant the help of Thy Spirit, and pray, O God, that Thou wilt magnify and glorify Thy name far above all, for Thou alone art worthy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's quite surprising how little really has been written about the subject of heaven over the years. Many of the great theologians hardly mention heaven in some of their great theological works. We've got a volume at home called Dogmatic Theology by an old theologian, W.G.T. Shedd. It's a huge volume, 
maybe seven or eight hundred pages, and in that great volume, Dogmatic Theology, there's one and a half pages on the subject of heaven, and 54 pages on the subject of hell. And the reality is that many professing Christians tonight, if we are honest, don't really know all that much about the subject of heaven. We long for heaven. We know that it's described in the Bible as being like paradise. And there are many things in life that we do not enjoy that will not be in heaven. Sickness and pain and death and suffering and tears. And we know that loved ones have gone on to be with Christ, which is far better. And so there's something of a longing in our hearts for heaven. But if we are honest, we don't really perhaps know all that much about what heaven will be like. People have all sorts of views and ideas there, consequently, and make up all sorts of different thoughts about what may or may not be in heaven and what heaven might be like. A number of years ago, I befriended a man. He wasn't a believer. And tragically, it wasn't long before he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He viewed that very lightly and just said, well, you have to go 100 miles an hour. It's not worth living at all. And we befriended each other and talked together and tried to witness to him. And he testified that he was brought up in a Presbyterian home. And I asked him very simply, how are you coping with the diagnosis that you've got? He said he was coping quite well. And his little daughter was saying, Daddy, what'll happen whenever you die? And he says, well, I'm, I'm going to heaven, even though he didn't profess to be born again. And she says, well, Daddy, what will heaven be like? And he says, well, what does Daddy like to do most? And she says, Daddy, you like to go to the gym, you like to keep fit, and you like to go to Starbucks. And he says, well, for me, that's what heaven is going to be. Just you imagine me in an exercise bike in the corner of Starbucks forever. That's heaven. And many people have flippant and spurious and very superficial ideas about what heaven will be like. The reality is tonight for every single one of us, that 99.999, and that could go on for infinity, of our existence will be outside the three score years and ten on average that we enjoy on this earth. Most of our existence will be outside what we commonly refer to as time. And if that's true, and the Bible says it is, that the soul is eternal and we will exist outside of time forever, it's important there for us to know as much as possible about our eternal destinies. Now we have to concede tonight, as the Apostle Paul did in 1 Corinthians 2, that the eye hath not seen, neither hath the ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. In many respects tonight, Heaven for us is inconceivable. We can't begin to imagine or conceive in our hearts with our own thinking and our own imagination what heaven must be like. That fills us with excitement and anticipation because certainly heaven is full of glory and gladness and joy and rejoicing and peace and so many other wonderful things. The very best joys that we experience on earth are but a a small foreshadowing of what must it be like to be in heaven. But yet, with that, the Word of God does give us 
certain detailed descriptions about heaven, both in the Old Testament and also in the New, and I think especially in the book of the Revelation, the two portions that we read tonight describe something of heaven in vivid detail. Revelation 4 and Revelation 21. Now, in speaking about heaven, we're speaking about heaven proper. The Bible sometimes speaks about the heavens. And what the Word of God means by that is the atmospheric heavens above us. The atmosphere, the clouds, the sun, the moon, the stars, the created universe could be described as being the heavens. But the Bible also speaks about the third heaven. You see, there are the atmospheric heavens, and then there's what the Bible calls the heavenlies, the spirit world, and then there's also the third heaven, which is the dwelling place of God, or paradise. The Apostle Paul speaks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He speaks about being caught up into paradise, or caught up into the third heaven, the very dwelling place of God. And the question tonight is, what will heaven be like? The architecture of heaven. Now, with all things spiritual, it's critical that we get our answers from the Bible. Somebody's opinion or somebody's good ideas of really no value at all. We need to get solid answers to spiritual and eternal questions. That's why tonight, as every other time we come to this place, we open the Word of God. Because God has magnified His Word above His name. And the Savior said in His day and generation, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think that ye have life, and there they that testify of me. And Paul said that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Go outside the Word of God, and anybody's opinion is as good as anybody else's. In 2010, there was a, a Christian book on the bestseller list, and it was simply entitled, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. And it sold thousands and thousands of copies, and it was on the, the best-selling list in many Christian bookshops, even here in the province, about a, a little boy that was in a car accident and slipped into a coma and then supposedly came back and told this great story of how he had been to heaven for eight hours or something, and he was coming back to tell everybody what it was like, and everybody thought that this was wonderful. Until a few years later, whenever his conscience got the better of him and he came clean and said that at the request of his father, he had made the whole thing up. And it's remarkable that people would do something like that and others would fall for it. The Bible says that between us and the world to come, there's a great gulf that is fixed and nobody's able to cross over it. That's why whenever the rich man said, send Lazarus to my brethren, that he might testify to them and warn them not to come to this place, that Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They've got the Bible. And the Bible is even more authoritative than the testimony, if it were possible, if one was to go come back from the dead. And beside this, he says, there's a great gulf that is fixed, so that they that would pass from hence to us cannot, neither can they go across the divide and go back as it were, to the world that they've left behind. But let's consider tonight what the Bible says. What will heaven be like? First of all, the description of heaven. 
Many words are used in the Bible to describe heaven. And whenever we bring those words together collectively, I believe it builds layer upon layer and gives us a great picture of what heaven will be like. If you get an artist that's painting with oils, he'll generally have a base layer and then he'll put another layer on. And as he adds layer upon layer, the colors become more vibrant and the picture becomes more and more detailed. And in the canvas of Holy Scripture, the Holy Spirit adds layer upon layer and describes heaven with various words. For example, at least 50 times in Matthew's Gospel, heaven is described as being a kingdom. It speaks in Matthew's Gospel about the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why Matthew's Gospel speaks about the kingdom of heaven more than any of the other Gospels is because Matthew is setting forth Jesus Christ our Lord as being the great king. And the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of Christ. Whenever you think about a kingdom, you think about a realm over which a sovereign reigns and over which a sovereign rules. And God's kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible says that Christians are citizens of heaven, citizens of that heavenly kingdom. We're like pilgrims tonight, passing through. This world is not our home. The Christian is spoiled for the world. Whenever you're born again and you're given a new nature while you live in this world and there are things that God has given us richly to enjoy, really our citizenship, our real home is in heaven. Whenever a Christian leaves this world, they're not leaving their home, they're going home. Heaven is described in the Bible as being a kingdom. And only those who recognize the kingship of Jesus Christ will be in heaven. And I ask you tonight, there's been a time in your life whenever you have said, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn crown brow. Lead me to Calvary. Heaven is a kingdom. The Word of God also says in the book of Hebrews that heaven is a country. Hebrews 11 and verse number 16, it speaks about the patriarchs, especially uh, the patriarch Abraham. And it says, now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. They desire a better country. They went out looking for the land of promise. And their descendants found it. And they went into a land that flowed with milk and honey. A land of hills and a land of valleys and a land of lush pasture that God had given them for their inheritance. And the promised land was but a picture or a foreshadowing of heaven. It says they desire a better country, a heavenly country. And everything tonight about heaven is better. Apostle Paul said he had a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Everything tonight about heaven is better than the very best things that we enjoy in this world. Hebrews 11 and verse number 34, it speaks about uh, ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Think about the best pleasures that you enjoy in life. 
the pleasures of heaven will be better. Think about the best relationships you have in life. The relationships in heaven will be better. Think about the best emotions that you experience in life. Those emotions in heaven will be better. Think about the love that you've known in life. The love that you experience in heaven will be better. Everything about heaven will be better because it's a better country. A country that's vast and beautiful. So heaven is described as a kingdom. Heaven is described as a country. And then we also see in Scripture that heaven is described as a city. Hebrews 11 again, verse number 16. They desire a better country, that is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. And the Bible speaks many, many times about this great city. This heavenly city, Hebrews 11 speaks about it several times. Revelation chapter 22 speaks about the heavenly city, New Jerusalem. And while every country on earth has a capital city, the New Jerusalem is the capital city of heaven. We ought not to confine heaven. Sometimes you have this idea that heaven's like this big room full of clouds above us and there's a big throne of marble somewhere in it and we're all standing shoulder to shoulder and we've sprouted wings and we'll spend all eternity singing and praising and worshiping. And we limit heaven and we have this very limited view of heaven, but heaven is like a vast universe, a vast kingdom. Heaven is like a country. Heaven is also described as being a city. The new Jerusalem is like the capital of heaven. And then furthermore, heaven is described as being like a house or like a home. John chapter 14, the Savior said, and they're beautiful words. Sadly, we only ever seem to read them not funerals. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. I'm sure there's at least one person here tonight, and your heart is troubled, and you're afraid, and you're worried, and you're anxious. It's something that we find very easy to do, isn't it? To become anxious and troubled. But the Savior said, you've no need to be troubled. Put your faith in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, where is the Father's house? The Savior taught us to pray, didn't he? Our Father which art in heaven. So the Father's house is another word or another description of heaven. In my Father's house there are many, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. The Lord's making it very clear now. If there wasn't such a place as heaven, and if there were not many mansions in heaven, I would tell you that, and I would be honest and say, now you don't need to think about heaven because there's no heaven and you'll not be there. And there are no mansions in heaven. It's a small, boring, dead, dry place. No, he speaks about the riches of heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. Some of the modern Bible versions take out the word mansions because they, they just can't comprehend that there would be many mansions in heaven. And so they translated rooms and they rob the Word of God of its majesty. And they rob heaven in part of its glory. The largest mansion or the largest house on earth is in Brunei and Borneo. It belongs to the Sultan of Brunei. It's the world's largest house. 
It's got 1,788 rooms. Now, how would you like to be cleaning a house like that? I don't know why people need to live in houses with hundreds of rooms, because you can only be in one room at one time, and you're going to need to sit in one chair at one time. 1,788 rooms, 257 bathrooms, 110 garages, five swimming pools, The floor space is 2.15 million square feet. Sultan of Brunei's house. I'm not sure if he's got sons or daughters. You'd maybe like to meet some of them, get alongside them, enter into a relationship with them, and get a house like that. Many people follow rich and wealthy people to enjoy something of what they have. And if they're able to build mansions like this on earth, Whenever the Savior said, I go to prepare a place for you, what must our mansion in heaven be like? Heaven is described as a kingdom. Heaven is described as a country. Heaven is described as a city. Heaven is described as a house. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Heaven as well is described as paradise. The Apostle Paul makes that clear in 2 Corinthians 12, 4. Caught up into the third heaven, caught up into paradise. The third heaven, the dwelling place of God, the Father's house, the celestial city. Paul described it paradise. You remember the the thieves that were crucified on either side of the Lord and one repented of his sin. What did the Lord say to him when that man simply recognized the innocency of Jesus Christ? This man hath done nothing amiss. He recognized his own sins were getting what we deserve. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And then the Lord said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You know, the word paradise in Greek, it really means Eden. It's like a special, a special park, a place of pleasure. The Eden that God created in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 was but a prefiguring of heaven because the word paradise builds and plays upon the word Eden. And Eden was the garden of God. Lush pastures and trees and rivers and streams and all the beautiful things that God had created. What must heaven be like tonight? And if you take all of these descriptions of heaven, they're building layer upon layer and in its final state, I believe, and we'll come to look at this in weeks to come, in its final state, the whole thing will come together. And the Bible describes it in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and the whole thing will come together into this vast kingdom, this recreated, this newly created universe. And the celestial city will be right at the very center, like the hub of a great wheel. Now, whenever the Lord said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, the word place is the Greek word topos, from which we get the word topography, which literally means terra firma, physical ground. Heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is not floating around in the ether somewhere. 
Heaven, the Bible says, is a real, literal, physical place. The Bible says that Jesus Christ in his physical resurrection body ascended up into heaven. So it must be a literal place. The description of heaven. What about the dimensions of heaven? What size is heaven? Well, it's impossible for us tonight to give the dimensions of the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible to us tonight to give the dimensions of the new heaven and the new earth. It's impossible for us tonight to give the dimensions of heaven as, as it's described as a country. But we can at least say that heaven will be vast. But Revelation chapter 21 gives us the dimensions of the capital city of heaven. And it says in Revelation chapter number 21 and verse number 15, And he talked with me, and he had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. Verse 16, The city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. At the end of the verse it says, The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So the city lies in perfect symmetry. Its length and its breadth and its height are all the same. The city is perfectly symmetrical. There's no imbalance in the New Jerusalem. Now we on earth are often creatures of extreme. Even in the evangelical churches, we can swing like a pendulum on a clock from one extreme to the other. Some of us sometimes are very imbalanced. But in heaven, there's perfect symmetry. It says, The city lieth four square. And it's a three-dimensional city. The length and the breadth and the height are all equal, are all the same. I believe that that in part typifies the very persons of, in the Godhead. The very being of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, they're co-equal and they're co-eternal. And they're of the same substance and they're equal in power and they're equal in glory. But you'll notice that it says in the middle of verse number 16, and he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. And the length and the breadth and the height are equal. 12,000 furlongs long, 12,000 furlongs wide, 12,000 furlongs tall. And it, it goes on to speak about the, the great walls of the city as well. In verse number 12, the city had a wall and, and it had gates. And it says then in verse 15 that he took a golden reed to measure the city. And so these, these measurements, according to verse number 17, are the measure of a man. So we know from that that they're to be taken literally. 12,000 furlongs, the measure of a man. Something that John could understand. And so God in the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit, uses measurements that were common to the New Testament era. And so I don't think tonight we can spiritualize them and say that 12,000 furlongs means something else. And in, in modern, modern usage, the, the 12,000 furlongs equate to 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles long. 1,500 miles broad. 1,500 miles high. Now, to give you a little bit of perspective, the distance from Lisbon... To Kiev, the capital of the Ukraine, is 
1,545 miles. Just a little bit more than the 1,500. And that's the length of the city and the breadth of the city and the height of the city. And so the base area of the New Jerusalem is two million and a, two and a quarter million miles. That's just a little bit smaller than the continent of Australia, which is 2.9 million miles. India is 1.24 million square miles. So the, the base of the New Jerusalem, if we take it literally, is twice the size of India. And the population of India is 1.4 billion. But don't forget that this city is not only a city that's got a length and a breadth, but also a height. And so the cubic capacity of the city is 3.37 billion cubic miles. Right in the center of the eternal kingdom of God. Remarkable to consider a city of that size. A description of heaven, the dimensions of heaven. Well, what about the details of heaven? And for this, we'll ask you to look there again at Revelation chapter 21. Now, there are many beautiful cities in the world. Google the 10 most beautiful cities in the world, looked at a couple of different websites. Somebody said that Venice was undoubtedly the most beautiful city in the world. Every building within Venice is a work of art. And all of the beautiful canals. And many said that whenever you go to Venice, there's none other city in the world that can compare to it. I've never been to Venice. Some said it was Paris. I've seen pictures of the Eiffel Tower, but I've never been to Paris. Some suggested Prague. I've never been there either. Some suggested Amsterdam. I don't know what Amsterdam's like. I know there's tulips and windmills. Some said Rio de Janeiro. Some said Florence and Italy. I haven't been to those places either. Some says the Bruges in Brussels. Somebody suggested Charleston in North Carolina or Cape Town in South Africa. Haven't been there either. Somebody said Bergen in Norway, Barcelona in Spain, Queenstown in New Zealand. I haven't been to any of these cities. Then somebody said Edinburgh, and I could pipe up and say, I've been to Edinburgh. They didn't mention Belfast. They didn't mention the city of Lisburn. They didn't mention the city of Bangor down there on the coast. But you know, someday every Christian will see the beauty of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Even Jerusalem in Bible times was a city that was known for its beauty in the place where it was set. It says in Psalm 48, that the city of Jerusalem was beautiful for situation. It was the joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion, the sides of the north, the city of our great king. But the new Jerusalem will far excel any of the cities of this earth with regards to its beauty. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 11 speaks about the glory and the light of the new Jerusalem. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone as clear as crystal. Goes on to say in verse number 23 that the city had no need of the, the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the, the, the Lord and the, 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 the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Scum skeptics have asked the question, if God created the universe... 
in six days, and on the first day he said, let there be light, and then he didn't create the sun until the, the days following. Where did the light come from? And they say, well, there's a contradiction there. But God is light. And I believe the light that shone at the dawn of creation was the light of the glory of God shining forth. God doesn't need the light of the sun because God is light and His dwelling is light. He dwells in light that no mortal man can approach unto. And the city of Jerusalem is the dwelling, the new Jerusalem is the dwelling place of God. And John describes the city as being like unto a giant gem, a giant crystal, or a giant, a giant jasper stone, filled with radiant light. And then verse number 12 speaks about the walls of the city. It is surrounded by huge walls. The city lieth four square. There's walls right around the city. Just as the Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem is a city with walls. If you can still see the walls today, the new Jerusalem will have great walls. And that reminds us, doesn't it, of security. And it reminds us of protection. The God that has kept us and protected us and is like a, a wall of fire round about us. Someday will bring us into the celestial city. And those great walls are 216 feet thick, according to verse 17. And then, of course, in the walls there are gates. Verse 12, it had a great wall and high and 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. These great and high walls of three great gates on, in each wall because you see, I believe in everything about heaven will not be confined for all eternity to this city. Because outside of the city, there's the, the new heavens and the new earth and this great country and this great kingdom. And God has put walls and the water, gates and the walls of the new Jerusalem to allow us free access in and out of the city, this whole new universe, this whole new creation. And the Scripture says in verse number 21, and the 12 gates were like 12 giant pearls. You know how a pearl is formed? It's formed inside a little oyster in the depths of the sea. And a little bit of sand or grit or something impure gets inside that oyster and causes it a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And the oyster secretes a substance that begins to coat that little piece of grain again and again and again until at last it forms a great pearl. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the gates of the walls of the New Jerusalem are like 12 pearls. Because there was a time whenever the Son of God came into this sin-cursed earth and our sins were laid upon Him. And he took our guilt and our sins and our sorrows and he made them his very own. And he suffered and he bled and he died for us and suffered so much to make us into something beautiful and to give us access into the new Jerusalem. You see, there's nothing incidental or accidental in the Word of God. And then verse 14 of Revelation 21 says, The wall of the city had twelve foundations and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And there are 12 foundation stones that are used as the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. Those are spoken of from verse 19 and verse number 20. A jasper, 
Now the jasper stone is like a, a red type of quartz. It's very beautiful to look at. And then it says in verse 19 as well that they, the second was like a sapphire. Sapphire is a deep, radiant blue crystal. The third was a chalcedony. That's a translucent quartz. It's often a, a soft blue. And then the fourth was like an emerald. And we know that emerald is green, a bright, radiant green. Then for the, the fifth foundation is a sardonyx. The sardonyx or the onyx stone was a stone with parallel layers of different colors, blue and white and gold and brown. Then a sardius, or we would call that the ruby. And the ruby is bright, bright blood red. And then a chrysolite, number seven, was a translucent olive green or gold stone. The eighth foundation was beryl. It was like a hexagonal crystal and could come in all manner of different, different colors. Then the ninth was a topaz, a, a yellow-colored crystal. The tenth, a chrysopsorus, and it was apple green mineral. The jacinth was number nine. We would call that zikron. It's, it's like a diamond in appearance. Sometimes it's got a yellow or a red or an orange tinge to it. And then the twelfth was an amethyst, which is a purple or violet quartz. And these are the foundation stones of the great city. The Bible says that the foundation of God standeth sure. Another foundation can no man lay than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. I wonder tonight what your foundation is for time and for eternity. Are you trusting in yourself? Or are you trusting in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And then it also says that not only are, is there light in heaven and walls in heaven and gates in heaven and foundations in heaven, but verse number 21 says there is a street in the city. And that street was like pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. I believe tonight we could say there are many streets in heaven, but this street that is spoken of here is like Main Street in New Jerusalem. And it leads to and from the throne of God itself. The street is like transparent glass, pure gold, that reflects His glory. And someday our feet will stand in a glorified body upon the streets of the New Jerusalem. And that leads to one last thought in closing. We have thought about the description of heaven and the dimensions of heaven and the details of heaven. Revelation chapter 4, what about the dynamics of heaven? By dynamics, we mean its brightness and its glory. Central to heaven, according to Revelation chapter 4, will be the throne. We have said that heaven is like a, a new heavens, coming down into communion with the new earth. And then the new Jerusalem descending from God out of heaven and taking up residence in the center of this new earth, in the center of this kingdom, in the center of this great country. And right in the very center of the New Jerusalem, the Word of God says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 2, whenever John saw into heaven things which must be hereafter, the first thing that his attention was drawn to was a throne that was set up in glory. And Revelation 21, 21 says that that golden street, it leads to the very throne. And there's somebody sitting upon the throne, Revelation 2 or Revelation 4, verses 2 and 3, He that sat on it, God Himself, sits in His undiminished glory on a throne 
within the walls of the New Jerusalem. Hard for us to conceive of the omnipresent God sitting upon a throne in glory and a great multitude that no man can number having access to and from that throne. And we have lost sight, dear friends, tonight of the majesty and of the glory of God. And it says in Revelation 4 and verse number 3 that over this throne and round about this throne there was a great rainbow. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Sadly, in our day and generation, the imagery of the rainbow has been so corrupted and so twisted and so perverted. But the rainbow in Scripture speaks about grace. The rainbow in Scripture speaks about salvation. The rainbow in Scripture speaks of God's faithfulness and God's covenant and God's promise to His people. And so whenever John saw this throne and he saw him that sat upon it and he saw this great rainbow round about it, he realized, I am here simply because of divine favor. I am here because of divine grace and divine mercy. I am here today because of divine love. The rainbow speaks of God's grace. Ezekiel saw that rainbow as well, incidentally. In Ezekiel 1 and verse number 26, he saw an above the firmament. That is, above the atmospheric heavens, the third heaven, that which was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it, the God-man Christ Jesus. And as well, he speaks about the appearance of the rainbow in verse number 28, and the likeness of the glory of God. And whenever he saw it, Ezekiel says, as John did, I fell upon my face. Verse 4 of Revelation 4 says, round about the throne, the four and twenty elders, and they're round about the throne, probably twelve on either side, and the great throne of God in the midst. And the word for elders there is the Greek word presbyteros, from which we get the word presbyterian. And that doesn't mean that there will only be presbyterians in heaven, but it speaks about elders in heaven. There will be governance in heaven. Some believe the four and twenty elders will be the twelve apostles on one side and the twelve heads of the tribes of Israel on the other. But the Lord is in the midst of His throne. The Lamb is all the glory. In Emmanuel's land, verse number 5 of Revelation 4, out of the throne proceed thunderings and lightnings and voices. That speaks of majesty, that speaks of holiness, that speaks of glory. It also says there at the end of verse 5 about seven lamps. And that represents the perfection of the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Ghost Himself typified by these seven lamps. Before the throne, verse number 6, a sea of glass, or a sea, as it says there, of glass like unto crystal, lies before this great throne reflecting the glory of God. Moses spoke about that in Exodus 24. Ezekiel spoke about it in Exodus, uh, cha or Ezekiel chapter 1. And the sea is like glass. It speaks of absolute peace. Heaven is a place of peace. Verse 6 and verse through to verse 8 speaks about the, the beasts, the four beasts. Ezekiel chapter 10, you can study it for yourself, speaks about those four beasts as well and describes them in almost the same language that John does. 
And he says that there are four cherubim or four angels. John said that one had the face like a lion. One was like unto a calf. One was like unto a man. And one was like unto an eagle. And I believe they're all there to testify to the person and work of our Savior. Just as the four Gospels do. The Gospel of Matthew is the Gospel of the King. That's what the lion speaks about. The Gospel of Mark is the Gospel of the Servant. That's what the calf speaks about. The Gospel of Luke is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. That's what the man speaks about. And John's Gospel is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what the eagle speaks about. His heavenly origin. And then it says as well in Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, that from this throne as well, down the middle of that golden street, there's a river that issues from the throne. And the river is emblematic of joy. Psalm 48 speaks about the great city of God. The streams were off shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Heaven is a place of peace. Heaven is a place of joy. Revelation 22 and verse number 2 says that on either side of this great river there is the tree of life. And it's for the healing of the nations. Heaven will be a place where there will be no pain, there will be no suffering, there will be no sickness. What must heaven be like? We can only scratch the surface a little bit tonight, but what a picture the book of Revelation gives us of heaven. But in closing, the great question that you have to answer is, and only you can answer this question tonight, humanly speaking, will you be there? Will you someday be in heaven with all that have gone on before? You say, how do I get there? How can I be in heaven? That's exactly the question that Thomas asked in John 14 when the Lord spoke about heaven. He says, Lord, how can I know the way? Lord, would you tell me how to get there? What did the Lord say? He just simply said, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the way. That's how you can be saved. I am the truth. That's how you can know that you're saved. I am the life. That's how you can enjoy the journey. The Bible says that straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. You have to come through the cross. You have to come to Christ. Why is the gate straight? It's because you can't bring your baggage or your self-righteousness with you. It's level ground at the cross. And though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. Are you sure tonight that you'll be in heaven? May you come to Christ. Give him your heart. Give him your life. Trust him as your Savior tonight. And leave this house on that narrow road that leads to heaven and leads to home. And on the journey, try to bring as many with you as you can. May God bless his word tonight to your hearts.